Here in Ephesians chapter 1, um, we're going to read a couple verses and then we're going to highlight a few of them. And so, um, here starting in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So this is the way I would say this, is that you've got everything you need right now to be who God has called you to be in every aspect and in every area of your life. Is that you lack nothing. How many of you realize that? You lack nothing right now. You have everything at your disposal. Now, we do have to apply those things to our life, but it's not, we're not waiting on it to get here. You know, I remember, uh, I don't know how long ago it's been now, um, but we did a, uh, on a Wednesday night, we did a study from Andrew Womack called You've Already Got It. And it wasn't too long after I probably had first gotten here. Maybe we were doing it when I first got here. I don't remember. Um, but that is a truth for us. And it says here that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing or every spiritual resource that we need because we're in Christ. And he says, in verse 4. He says, even before that, uh, that God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Now, we've talked about this uh, last week a little bit, but, you know, it, is that uh, Jesus told the disciples at one point, He said, look, guys, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I came and found you. And, the, and there's a reality here is that we have been chosen by God. And that it's not just that we uh, have chosen to live for Him, is that, you know, He chose us and willingly has, and it, we'll see here in just a few moments, that the Bible says that He chose us in advance and said, I want them to be mine. And uh, here it says that even before He'd made the world, that God um, chose us uh, to... to chose us in Christ to be holy and without, without fault in His eyes. It says in verse 5 that God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Christ. It says this is what He wanted to do and it gave Him great pleasure. So we um, praise God for the glorious grace that He has poured out on us who believe in His dear Son. It says He is so rich in uh, kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and the forgiveness of our sins. It says that He has showered us with His kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. So this is kind of the focal point, if you will, of, of, of kind of where we're, we're, we were in the last uh, first message of this, if you will. But I want you to kind of catch something here in verse 4. And this is really what I want to focus on tonight. Um, is this, he says, Before the world was made, God loved us. So before you were chosen, you were loved. You could say it this way, is the reason that God chose us and chose you and chose me is this, is because He loved us first. You know, and it says here, and of course, that word love there is the word agape. You know, and I know that most of you know this, but uh, the agape, we, you, there's lots of definitions, but it's the God kind of light or the God kind of love, you know, and it's, um, you know, and I like to think of it in this term is that all-inclusive. Does anybody know what an all-inclusive vacation means? Anybody? Everything's included. I remember a few years ago, I've only ever been on one trip that was all-inclusive. And it really wasn't all-inclusive because we had to pay for a few things. But we went on a cruise. Actually, it was right when we first had uh, become the pastors of the church and we already had it planned. And so we went. And it was pretty neat, though, because we could go to dinner and they would have us a table. And we'd go sit down and you'd just look at the menu and be like, what do I want to try? Because if I don't like it, I'm just going to order something else. And I didn't, you know, we didn't have to pay for it because it was all, in, it was already included in our trip. So sometimes I'd be like, I'm going to start with this one, but I, I can't decide. And so I'm going to start with this one, but then I want this one too. And it was kind of nice. 
And then it came time for desserts and you couldn't pick. So you just got them all, you know, you're like, it's, and that decision was easy. Why? Because it it was already included. It wasn't going to, you know, the check wasn't coming. I had already paid for it. It was all inclusive, right? You know, and, and I love to think of God's love in that term is that everything that God has and everything that God is all included in his love. Everything and everything that he is right now is available to us is because he loves us and he has chosen us. You know, but I believe that, you know, and really, even in the idea of really understanding that God has picked me, God has chosen me, that many times we can struggle with that really in understanding and grabbing hold of it in our heart simply because to really understand that God chose you, you first have to understand how much God really loves you. Is that God truly has a desire and a passion for us. You know, uh, the message translation here of verse 4 says this. Is that before he had even made the world, he had us in mind. And he had settled us as the focus of his love. Have you ever heard somebody preach or make the statement that you're the apple of God's eye? You're the focus that God has is paying attention and you bring him great delight. Why? Because he has set his affections. That's what the word love actually means. It means to, to, to set your affections upon something or someone. And God has chosen to pick us as the object, object of his affection. Of all of creation, of everything he could have picked. He said that humans, mankind, were the apex of all of creation that he picked. And said, this is my best. This is who I choose to pour out my love upon. You know, I was uh, looking at something today and I came across this uh, thing. How many of you know who Pastor Mark Hankins is down in Alexandria, Louisiana? He, he had this quote. It's actually a video clip, but they had it quoted. And I thought it was pretty funny, so I'm going to share it with you. And he said this. He says, I'd been to church and they tried to preach the hell out of me. You ever been to church and they tried to preach hell right out of you? He says, and then I went to school and they tried to educate the hell out of me. I've been there too. I know those teachers. And he says, and then I, he said, I'd been to jail and they tried to rehabilitate the hell out of me. He says, I went home and my dad tried to beat the hell out of me. He says, but when I went to Jesus, he loved the hell right out of me. You know, and he was actually sharing a part of his testimony, which I'd never heard. Um, but he had shared a part of his story and he was talking about when he was a heathen, but you know, he was a pastor's son. Uh, but he, um, he, you know, was at church and he, he was like, I was just being a fool. And then this gentleman, he, who came in quite a bit at that time to his dad's church, you know, had called him out. And, or I think his dad had asked the man, has the Lord given you a word for tonight? And he said, yes. So the man comes up and he says, where's the pastor's son? And he's like, you know, he goes, I'd heard every message under the book. You know, he goes, I, you know, I heard some of the best preachers of the day, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And he said, and I was just expecting, you know, he's like, as I'm walking down the aisle, I'm trying to get my heart right with the Lord. You know, like, Lord, if you haven't already told him, then, you know, I'm just going to get some forgiveness on my walk. And so this and that. And he said, he walked all the way down there. and The man started talking to him about how much God loved him. And he said, I'd heard all these messages. and I knew all this stuff. He said, but I had never actually had a personal understanding that God loved me. And he said in that moment, though, that it became a reality for him. Is it how much that God loved him? He said, and that really was what was kind of part of the catalyst that really changed the whole direction and course of his life. And, um, you know, and I just love how he says is that all these other things that they're trying to make you better and do better. And yet Jesus loves us so much. That if we'll just understand how, and even just, I'll say it this way, if we can try to understand more, and we'll, we'll look at a verse here in a few minutes because we'll never fully grasp it. 
Uh, I mean, there's just no way. I mean, every natural example still isn't close. Um, you know, because, I mean, there's just nothing in the natural world that can really help us to fully comprehend it. But yet we can experience it in a personal level, in a personal uh, walk with the Lord. And so, you know, even as it says here, it says that God has loved us. And he, He's loved us with an everlasting love is what the the Bible tells us. In other words, it's not conditional. Uh, is that God loves us. The Bible even says in Romans that before we ever even took a first sight at Him or even gave Him a moment of a glance of a thought, is that He died for us. Christ died for us. Why? Because He loved us. And so, over in Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read you a couple of verses here out of the Amplified Bible. And um, I'm going to read it out of a newer translation. The Amplified so we'll have an older. They'll be close, but they're not exactly the same. But uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, It says, may he grant to you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with the power or with power through the spirit in your inner self. So here's just a side note. But if you're going to receive strength from the Lord, where's that going to come from? Is he going to come from the outside? Is he going to come from just physical, you know, just strength? Or is it something that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside that happens in our spirit man first? Isn't that the way God does everything? He works from the inside out, right? He changes our heart and that changes our behaviors. He changes our heart and that changes our language. He changes our heart and it changes our motives. He changes our hearts and changes our desires. You know, it always starts from the inside and God works out. And yet even here he says that if we're to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power uh, by the Holy Spirit in our inner self, says that indwelling of your innermost being and personality so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love. So, ha- you being deeply, deeply rooted and securely grounded in what? How much God loves you. How much God cares for you. How much He, he uh, has set His affections upon you. He says that if you're able to actually grab hold of that reality. In verse 18 it says that you would be fully capable of, of comprehending with all the saints the width the length, the height, the depth of God's love. The Amplified adds and says, fully experiencing that amazing and endless love and that you may come to know practically and through personal experience the love of Christ which far far surpasses mere knowledge without experience that you may be filled up throughout... um, you're being to the, all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives completely filled and flooded with God Himself. Now, I know that's a lot because it's the Amplified and they always, it's hence the Amplified Bible. But here it says, is that, and I love this part, it says that ultimately that if we could grab hold of what God's love is and what that means for us in verse 19, it says that you may practically and through personal experience, or, or through personal experience, the love of God. It's one thing for me to tell you that you're loved. It's another, it's a whole different thing for you to actually experience how much you're loved. And I can't convince you and I can't, you know, I can't even teach or, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of that I just have to receive. That you just have to receive how much God loves you. Is that even by faith, as it says here, is that, that um, says that Christ would dwell in your hearts through your faith. God's love is not anything like what we understand love to be. You know, 
Why? Because we're humans and our love many times is very conditional. Or it's fleeting or it can change or, you know, I mean, things, circumstances, situations come. And, and, you know, maybe we've really had great affection for that friend at one time, but something happened. And now it's just kind of like, eh, maybe keep you off at a distance a little bit. Maybe I don't want to give you access to my life the way that I once had. But yet God is not like that at all. And so, you know, we have to look at it through um, through what the Bible uh, really uh teaches us and shows us. You know, I mean, many times we talk about the blessings and the promises of God. But how many of you realize that even the ability for you to receive all of those great and precious promises actually depend upon your ability to believe how much God loves you? Why? Because why would you, why would you even have the ability to believe that God would be faithful to you through all of His promises if you don't really understand how much He loves you first? The greatest gift that God has ever given us, first and foremost, was His love. Before all the promises, before all the blessings. Why? Because it's out of His love that He saved us. It's out of His love that He moved in our life. It's out of His love that He has chosen us. It's out of His love that He works in our life even now. And yet we have to fully comprehend. And and why is it so important that we keep this in the forefront of our mind? Because the enemy is constantly telling us that God doesn't love us. He's constantly reminding us why we don't measure up, why we don't deserve. And yet God never says any of that. So it's important for us as believers to keep this thought is that I'm the beloved of God. That God, you know, I mean, there's a song that we sing and, it, uh, you know, there's a line that says that I'm God's favorite. You know, I, I mean, and but for some of you, you may not even be able to actually say that with any amount of confidence. Why? Because you don't see yourself as the apple of God's eye. You don't see yourself as the treasure of the heart of God. And yet, he thought that you were so important that Jesus would would have died for you alone. Just one. Jesus would have died for one person. Now, thankfully, a lot more people than one have responded to the gospel. And a lot more people have, have received the grace of God, yes... But yet, if we don't fully, and, and, and again, we're, I mean, I don't know that we can, I mean, I don't believe you can ever fully comprehend it. Because it's so far beyond logic, it's so far beyond reason, the love of God. And yet, but when we can, and as we grow in it, just as it says here, is that we can actually comprehend and begin to process through how much God loves me, how much God loves you. And so, you know, the Bible gives us an illustration uh, a, a natural illustration, and many times I don't know that people um, can necessarily connect the dots with it, but it comes out of Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry. Nope. I just read that. Ephesians 5. I was wondering. I'm like, I didn't put that in the Amplified Bible. Ephesians 5, New Living Translation. This may seem like an odd verse, but... Hopefully I can help you understand why I'm reading it here in a second. But Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, it says, For wives, it says, uh, this means that you're to submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands and everything. So let me ask you, I mean, this is somewhat of a rhetorical question, but who's the church? Is this building the church? Or are we the church? Does Corinthians not say that we are the temple of God? That now that we are the the church? And so even here is that it's important that we have to submit to the 
to Christ? Well, sometimes that means that we actually have to just come in agreement with what he says about us and not what we say about us. Sometimes we have to say that even though I may not feel lovable, I may not feel deserving, Christ says that he loves me and that I am deserving. And and, and so we have to submit under his authority. It goes on here in verse 25 and it says, Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. He gave up his life for her and to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. It says he did this to present her to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. He says, um, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a, uh, it says, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Drop down to verse 32. Paul continues and he says, this is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Now we're talking, you know, and, and really this is an, just an illustration. And, it, and it's, you know, I believe that when two believers especially are married, that there is something supernatural that begins to happen. I believe that, you know, just as it talks about here is that, um, you know, that it's a great mystery as to what happens. But yet he's trying to get us to understand a spiritual truth to apply to our spiritual life. And yet he's using a natural moment here, which is the relationship between a husband and a wife to try to help us connect the dots. You know, and he says here, and one of the things, or let me say this, that when a husband and wife get married, what they do is they declare their love and their commitment to one another. But very simply, this is the way I would say it, is that when a man and a woman get married, what they're saying is, out of everybody else in the world, I choose you. I could marry anybody. There's 7 billion plus people on the planet. And out of seven billion, I choose you. You know, and that's pretty amazing. It's pretty remarkable in some ways. You know, when you really think about it in those terms as, hey, I, you know, in sickness and health, for better or for worse, and, you know, all those commitments that we make, I choose you. And yet, that is what God did for us. I choose you. You know, I can remember when me and Daryl were dating, there was a time, I don't know, we'd been dating for a couple years, and, you know, I knew that I, I mean, I, I felt like that I loved her, but I wasn't just 100%, I was like, well, I don't know, I've never been in love, really. I mean, I know I really think she's pretty cool, <laughs> you know, and how do you know when you're in love with somebody? If you've never been in love, you're like, well, I'm not sure, and, you know, I, you know, am I the only one that ever wondered that? Like, how do you know what love really is? And you're like, I don't know. And um, so at one, at one point, I was... Um, I was actually working for Pastor Sam at the time, and uh, I was doing TV editing, and so he had called me in and had asked me about, um, he wanted to send me on, a, on basically a summer trip with, a, with another minister. And uh, so he wanted me to kind of go and help him lead some ministry trip stuff that he was doing. And so I was going to be gone for seven or eight weeks in the summer. And so, um, so he called me in and said, hey, you know, you know, I feel like this is something that, um, that, you know, the Lord wants me to have you to do. And I believe, it, you know, he wanted to sow a seed. But he said, I think it would also be really beneficial for you as well for what God has for you. And so we were dating at the time. And Dara wasn't real thrilled that I'm leaving for a couple months. And, uh, you know, and so she really wasn't thrilled when I told her that, hey, I don't think. Well, actually, I think I'd been gone like a week. And the first week, and I, and we, so we were on the phone, and you know, I was, we were talking a lot, and this and that, and I'm like, you know, I feel like I really need to focus on what I'm doing, and not be distracted by the phone all the time, and uh, yeah, and um, yeah, and so, 
but there was kind of a secondary thing because I was also trying to figure out, you know, because I just, I mean, I don't, look, I'm, I'm going to say this. This is just, this is just me. I, actually, I remember we had been dating for two and a half years. And so I kind of have a rule. If you've been dating somebody for three years and you don't know if you love them or want to marry them, it's time to break up. That's just my rule. I'm not saying it's the gospel, but if you don't know after three years, you're going to be at 10 years and you still ain't going to know. And so I always tell, especially young ladies, that don't let some dude string you along for a long time. And because uh, if he don't know, he ain't going to know. He ain't going to make up his mind. You know, and so anyhow, so I have that in the back of my mind. And so I had this thought. And I just said, well, you know what? I've got, I think it was six weeks at that time. And, uh, and I was like trying to figure out, as, you know, as dare who I want to marry. And, you know, and I wasn't, you know, I, I was young and didn't know what, what to do. And so my thought was, well, you know, they say absence makes the heart fonder, right? Seemed logical to me. And, uh, you know, I'm a pretty black and white kind of person. And uh, so anyhow, so I didn't tell her this, but here was my mentality. I said, you know, when I leave, we're not going to talk for six weeks. And at the end of the trip, the last stop on our trip or one of the last two, I think it was the last two stops or something. uh, Right towards the end, though, we were going to be in Shreveport and uh, back at Word of Life. And so I knew I would see her. And so here was my thought. I said, man, if I get back to Shreveport and I want to see anybody more than her, then I don't really love her. That was what I thought. I mean, and that was just kind of in my mind. Seemed logical to me. I'm a fairly black and white kind of person. And so I just thought, well, this is how I'm going to know. If I want to see my friends or if I want to see my parents or if I want to see these people or that people. Well, after those, whatever it was, five weeks, I didn't care about nobody. All I wanted to see was her. You know, and so, I mean, it, we kind of had one of those movie scene things. And yeah, it was funny. And uh, so, yeah. And, uh, huh? Yeah. I, yeah, no, I don't. And uh, I just fell over crying. It's like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. No, and uh, it wasn't quite like that. But in that moment, though, that sealed it for me. And in that moment, I knew, I said, this is who I want to marry. You know, and in that moment, really, even though we had been together for two, two and a half years, in that moment, I made the decision that I wanted to choose to be with her. And that sealed it for me. That was the last time I'd ever said, is that, like, I don't want anybody else. I choose her. Well, that's just a natural love. That's just a, a natural thing. And yet, you know, uh, even in our relationship, and even as it talks here, is that he's connecting the dots between our connection to God and really that relationship between a husband and wife. And yet, you know, my relationship with Dare, I have a, very, I have a unique relationship. I have a relationship with her that I have with nobody else. She knows everything about me. You know, I always tell uh, young men, especially, um, whenever they're getting ready to get married, I'm like, it's always, I always give them the same advice. I'm like, look, she matters more than anything else. Because if you move, she's the only one moving with you. No matter where you go, she goes. And so always keep that in mind because you don't want to neglect her and lose the relationship with her. Simply because you got busy doing other things or doing this or doing that and other things became more of a priority. And so, you know, even in the natural where this is a unique relationship, how many of you know that even your affection for your spouse, for those of you who are married, which is most of you, but not all of you, but even your affections for your spouse, for your kids, still pale in comparison to how God has affection towards you. It's, it's a slight glimpse. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a small picture of how God affectionately cares for you. That's why the Bible talks about that God, His heart burns jealously for us. You ever been like a jealous boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife? You ever had that? How many of you have ever been jealous? It's like, don't talk to my 
wife. Don't talk to my girlfriend. Don't, like, we're going to have some problems. You know? And yet, even in that... Now, I know, I'm, I'm, just so you know, none of that was probably righteous. So, I just, just I'm just going to put that out there. But yet, the Bible says that God burns jealously for us as His children. Why? Because He has this intense, powerful love towards us. And out of that great love for us is the reason that... He looks at us and chooses us and says, you're the object of my affection. You're the one that I want to love. You're the one that I want to pour out my goodness. You're the one that I want to pour out my blessings into your life. And it all stems out of his desire towards us. And just as, um, you know, as I was sharing a, a moment ago, is that God has chosen us. Why? Because of that love. And out of that, he chooses to pour out his goodness. He chooses to pour out his grace. He chooses to pour out his power into our lives because of his great and intense love for us. And, you know, and even as it talks about here is that, um, that we are to be united one with Christ. Well, even in those areas where we may not fully be able to comprehend, that would create a hindrance in our life to be connected to Christ completely. Why? Because there's a disconnect. And just as he, as he prays here in Ephesians um, 3, he, you know, he, he's praying and saying that I would... Uh, let me go back to this real quick because I don't want to misquote it. I read this out of the Amphite in Ephesians 3. Verse 17, he says, May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, and may you having been deeply rooted and grounded securely in love. Be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints the extent of God's love personally. God wants us to personally experience his love towards us. His affection, his care, his longing for us. Is that God is, let me say it this way, is that God is not casual about you. God is not casual about your life. God is not casual about your circumstances. He is not ignoring you. No, he is fully invested I mean, if, if God was playing poker, he's all in. Right? He's all in. Pushed all his chips in the middle of the table and says, I'm, I'm all in. I'm fully invested. And he is fully invested in you. And yet, if we can't comprehend that and really grasp a hold of that, even if it's just by faith. Because you may say, well, I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't see that. I can't believe that. Then, but by faith, you can by faith, the word says that I am supremely, affectionately cared for by my Father. And so even by faith, I can step into that and to believe how much that God cares for me. Over in Romans chapter 8. Starting here in verse 35. <clears throat> It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that, we, that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger? Or even threatened by death? Verse 37 says, no, despite all of these things. In other words, in spite of. Just because I have problems doesn't mean that God's not invested. God's not loving. God's not working. So even in those moment, moments, even in those times, that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Who cares? Who's affectionately watching, affectionately working on our behalf. Verse 38 says, And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life 
Neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, no, even the powers of hell can separate, or not even the powers of hell can separate us from, the, from God's love. He says, no power in the sky above or in the earth beneath. He says, indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in this life. You know, I mean, I've heard a lot of people make this statement, and yet for us as believers it's true. Is the worst day in the life of a Christian would be the day that we die. That'd be the worst day here on earth. Why? Because it only gets better after. Because the moment that we cease to exist in this life, we step from this into the fullness of life. It only gets better. It's not worse. It doesn't go downhill. No, we fully get to experience all that God has ready for us to live in. In that moment. So the worst thing the devil could do to us. But even in that, no matter life, death, circumstances, nothing that the enemy can do will ever separate us from the love of God. The moment we breathe our last, last breath, we step fully into the love of God. We step immediately into His presence. But even in the midst of our circumstances, even in the midst of, of trials and, and things that may come, the thoughts will come and the enemy will try to get us to believe, well, God has forgotten you. God's not paying attention. No, God is, he is paying attention. And he's right there with you. He's walking with you and loving you even in the midst of those moments, bringing his strength, just as it talks about there in Ephesians 3. He says that we would be strengthened with might from where? Our inner man. Well, we can't even really pray that prayer with any amount of confidence or faith if we don't have an understanding of how much God loves us. Why? Because it says, you know, just to put it into words, because I know how much God loves me, I know he's going to strengthen me. Like strengthening me and giving me the ability to do what he's, you know, laid out in front of me to do is nothing compared to how much he loves me. And because I know how much he loves me, that gives me a lot of confidence to now come back and say, God, I need your strength. I need your ability. I need your grace in this moment. I need your wisdom in this moment that you wouldn't withhold back anything from me because I know how much you love me. And I know how much you care for me. And this is the, really what we see throughout Scripture. And even to the point, I, you know, I mean, has God ever asked you to do something and you have the thought, why me? God, can't you use somebody else? Like, why do I have to do this? You know, I mean, trust me, I've prayed that prayer multiple times. God never responds. It's like, God, there's a lot of other people who could do this. Why do I have to? Why do I need to? I mean, I prayed that about being a preacher. My God, I can't talk to people. Leave me alone. I don't want to do that. But yet, he chose me he called me he he gifted me to do this right i mean hopefully hopefully it's not torture every time you're here no i mean here is what is that man that that because i understand how much god loves me and i i'm growing in this it's not that i just fully comprehend it but i i want to grow more and more and more in understanding how much god loves then that gives me all the confidence in the world to go to him and, and with anything that I face. I mean, you know, I, and I think I don't think this is just characteristic of me. I think it's partly characteristic of men. But if I know my wife wants something, if there's a problem, 
What becomes priority number one for me? I got to fix it. And sometimes I'm a little too fast on that. She's like, I don't need you to do anything. And I'm already like trying to fix something. I just want you to listen. I'm like, no, I just want to fix. I don't want to listen. I just want to fix. Well, you know, but I, I do that for her. Why? Because I'm affectionate. I, I care for her. If, there, if she has a problem, the Lord has anointed me to solve it. Right? And that's what I feel. You know? But, because, but I don't do that for everybody. You know, I mean, not in the same way. There's not that same response. Because there's a connection. You know, and the same is true, though, even in our walk with the Lord. Is that when we understand how much He loves us, we'll understand how much He wants to work for us as well. But the flip side of that is true as well. When we don't know, it takes the confidence away from us. When we believe the lies of the enemy that says that we've messed up too much and God doesn't love us or that somehow his love has now changed. His love is everlasting. It's unchanging. It's unrelenting. It doesn't stop and it doesn't quit. It doesn't change its mind. He doesn't wake up one day and say, I love you. And then wake up the next day and be like, well, maybe not so much today. God never changes. That intense love that he has for us is always the same. You know, and I just want to encourage you tonight with this thought. Is that yes, God has chosen you as the object of his affection. But it's because he loves you. He loved you first. And that's what brings about all that God has for you in your life. And it will give you confidence to be able to stand upon God's word. And to begin to believe God for all that he has promised. All the, you know, just as it says... um, over in um, Psalms, it talks about, it says, don't forget all the great and precious promises. Don't lose sight. Why? Because that's, I mean, Christ died so that we could have them. But Christ died because he loved us. And that love is what secures us and really gives us the confidence to believe everything else that God said. Because he didn't stop short with Jesus on the cross. He didn't stop short At Jesus in the grave. He didn't stop short at Jesus being risen from the dead. He followed through all the way through the end. So that now that we can be secure. In God's love. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. I want to read this out of the message translation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Out of the message. It says. It is in Christ. That we find out who we are. And what we are living for. It says long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up. He had his eye on us. And had designs for our glorious living. Long before we ever chose Christ. He chose us. And he chose us not just to save us. And I love the way the message says this. It says that he chose us for glorious living. Abundant life. I mean, Jesus didn't come just so that we could suffer through life and make it through life and just, well, I'm just trying to just trying to truck along till I get there. That's not abundant. Christ came to give us abundant, over-the-top life. He has chosen you for that, as it says here, that glorious life. We're not like the rest of the world who doesn't know God. We're not like the rest of the world that doesn't have fellowship and relationship. You know, I mean, everybody is loved. I mean, 
The Bible's clear about that. God's desire is that all would be saved. Why? Because he loves them just like he loves us. But something happens when we respond to that love that sets us apart. And all of a sudden, exactly what it says here would begin to happen is that Christ had his eye on us and he has designs for us to walk in an abundant life. A life full of the presence, full of of God's ability working in our lives, for our lives. Why? So that we can now live in the fullness of God today. That's God's desire. But even me saying that, if you really question or or struggle with the thought of, does God really love me? That's going to hinder your ability to walk in the life of God that he has for you. Why? Because there's that doubt. The enemy's going to come and accuse and you're going to agree with him. You're right. I don't deserve this. Let me remind you what it says over there in Romans 8. What can separate you from the love of God? Now, it doesn't list it, but is that <clears throat> your behavior? No. Is that, you know, the, the powers of hell? No. Is that if everything's going right and everything's peachy and swell in your life? No. No. Overwhelming victory is ours. Why? Because he loved us. Because he's chosen us as the object of his affection to experience his life and his grace and his goodness and his power every day of our lives. And so I want to encourage you with that tonight. I, you know, I would encourage you just to take these verses and, and to meditate on them some more, to read over them and let this roll around in your heart. Why? Because it's an area that we can always grow in. I mean, just as it says there in Ephesians, that we will never fully comprehend it. But it didn't say that we couldn't grow in our understanding or our knowledge. And even as he said, through personal experience, you may may need to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, can you help me to open up my eyes to see how much you love me? Help me to to understand it deeper and at at a greater level, how much you care for me so that I will be able to trust you even more and walk in a greater uh, degree of faith than I ever have. Because I understand more and more of who you are and what I mean to you. And if you can do that, I promise you, you will see the life of God begin to flow at a greater degree and at a greater depth in your life and in your heart.